0: Today I'm in Haworth, a village not so far from where I live in West Yorkshire. And if you're with me on this, I'd like to take you back in time for a bit. It's the winter of 1855, and a 38-year-old Charlotte Bronte, now a married woman, is pregnant Still living in her childhood home, the Parsonage, in Haworth, she is the only remaining Bronte sibling to be alive. Though she is not the last Bronte, her father Patrick still lives in the Parsonage as well. And the story of their lives, the story they have to tell, it's one worth knowing. My name is Caitlin Badger, and this is Northern a podcast exploring the history, stories, landscapes, and people of the North of England, and an attempt to discover and share what it means to be Northern. Anne, Emily, and Charlotte Bronte were all born in Thornton, West Yorkshire, not far from the city of Bradford. It's important to know that while they were the most famous of the Bronte children, they were not the only ones. They had two older sisters, Maria and Elizabeth, born in 1814 and 1815. Charlotte was then born in 1816, followed by their brother, Patrick Branwell, known as Branwell, in 1817. Emily, the middle sister between the three famous writers, was born in 1818, followed by Anne, the youngest, in 1820. Now, I know, that is a lot of dates to throw at you. So, for a bit of context, Jane Austen had written her novel, Pride and Prejudice, and it was published just a year before the oldest sister was born, in 1813 and Queen Victoria, she wouldn't go on to have her coronation until 1838. Really, quite tragically, death touched the lives of the Bronte siblings at a very young age. In 1821, not long after the birth of Anne and moving to the parsonage in Haworth, their mother passed away, and this wasn't the end of their sorrows. Three years later, Charlotte and Emily were sent away to school at Cowan Bridge, and this was a school for the children of clergy. There they joined their older sisters, Maria and Elizabeth, who were already boarding. The harsh realities of this school were enough to leave quite an impression on a young Charlotte, who would go on to write about a school very, very similar to this one in Jane Eyre. From small amounts of food, and I mean, we're talking a bowl of coffee and a piece of bread for a meal for a child, to very poor sanitary conditions, the school was a breeding ground for consumption, or what we would call today tuberculosis. In 1825, at just 10 and 11 years old, the two oldest sisters fell ill at school and were taken back to Haworth where they both passed away. Charlotte and Emily were brought back home from school. This left the three sisters and their brother Branwell to live with their father Patrick in the parsonage. Now Haworth is a small village on the edge of Moorland in West Yorkshire and it is charming to say the least. If you've been there, you know that the town weaves its way up the edge of a valley and the parsonage is seated up at the top near the churchyard, which leads out to the moors that captivated Emily so much. As children and teenagers, the siblings, Anne, Emily, Branwell, and Charlotte created imaginary worlds together. Branwell received from his father 12 wooden soldiers, and the children were so taken with them that each of them picked out a soldier to be their own. They constructed a world for the soldiers to live in, and this was called the Glass Town Confederacy. They lived, and more interestingly, they wrote in this fantasy world. In fact, they wrote about it extensively and even created tiny books out of their writings that were small enough for the soldiers to read. The stories were original, but they did sometimes weave in narratives of what was happening in England at the time, things like wars and political characters. These weren't the fleeting imaginary places that every child dreams up at some point, but these were extensively thought out and written about and documented worlds. Anne and Emily, the younger of the four siblings, went on to construct their own world together of Gondol, an island which shares the physical features of the Yorkshire Moors, the Moors right outside their doorstep. Anne and Emily's writing and sketches from the time show a continual fascination with inhabiting and writing in this place they had built together. The Bronte sisters were certainly never destined to be women of leisure. As they got older, it became really important for them to find employment. Their father as a member of the clergy was given a comfortable, but definitely modest salary. And for Patrick Bronte, this meant his children had to grow up to bring income in. Options for the employment of middle-class women in the mid-1800s were, as you can probably imagine, not vast. However, with a decent education, the sisters were all equipped to work in a school or in a home as a governess. While they were technically, yes, equipped for this work, it's pretty clear from their writings that it didn't exactly suit them. Plucked away from their home where their imaginations had led their days, the 17-hour work days at a college or the emotional isolation and constant stress of working for a family were often just too much. In Jane Eyre, Charlotte's novel published in 1847, Jane finds herself the governess of one child, a young girl with not extraordinary abilities, but also no strong faults. She lives comfortably, and other than some strange accounts and mysteries in the house, I won't give you any spoilers, her governessing is relatively problem-free. This is in complete contrast to the experience of governessing that we see in Agnes Grey. This was Anne's novel, published later the same year. And here, the children are cruel, and Agnes's experience is a constant struggle. Anne wrote about the true horrors of a governess's experience, and she had no lack of her own experience to go on. Not long before Anne wrote Agnes Gray, she had been employed in her second job as a governess at Thorpe Hall in North Yorkshire. There, she gained a job for her brother, Branwell. He was tutoring the Robinsons' only son. Well, that ended up having some pretty disastrous consequences. Branwell ended up having an affair with Mrs. Robinson. And this affair altered the course of the Brontes' lives forever. Removed from their positions, Anne and Branwell returned to Haworth and a new course was charted. In 1845, upon returning from Thorpe Hall, Anne found herself back at home, unemployed and with both her sisters and brother at home as well. Probably a situation that many of us millennials have experienced ourselves. Back at home, Branwell became depressed over the loss of a relationship with a woman who he truly believed had loved him. Though, her actions did suggest otherwise. Branwell found relief in the bottom of a bottle and soon began an addiction with alcohol and possibly opium. Branwell's alcoholism had a profound effect on the family. Living together, they witnessed the extreme lows of this addiction. It's particularly evident with Anne. In her second novel, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, which if you haven't read it, is my favorite of the Bronte novels, definitely pick it up. The horrible conduct and addiction of the main character's husband leads her to abandon her marriage for good, taking her child with her just to keep him safe from the wrecking influence of his alcoholic father. The notion of a woman leaving her marriage Even if the husband was awful and abusive, and for her to take her son with her, this was completely inappropriate and not to mention very illegal in the Victorian age. But Anne wrote about it. While Brandwell spent his time at the pub in the village spending his father's money or upstairs in his room... Anne, Emily, and Charlotte found themselves with a lot of time to spend together once again. In that same year, 1845, Charlotte found a book of Emily's poems. Impressed by them, she told a not-too-pleased Emily that she had read them, and she thought they were brilliant. Charlotte had begun to hatch a plan to publish the poems alongside her own and Anne's. 19 poems by Currer Bell and 21 each by Ellis and Acton Bell, the male pen names chosen to match their own initials, were published together in 1846. And wait for it, a whopping two coffees were sold. Okay, though not a huge success, this gave the sisters a taste of publishing and they had already begun to work on their novels. Every evening, the sisters would sit in the front room of their house, furnished with a large table and a fireplace, and they would work on their novels. They would read out loud to each other and comment on their work. This collaborative process must have been really natural for them for these sisters who had been writing and creating worlds together since they were children. Then, after so much hard work, in October of 1847, Charlotte's first novel, Jane Eyre, was published. Though it is worth noting that this wasn't the first novel she had attempted to get published. Jane Eyre by Currer-Bell was a huge success, and everyone wondered just who this Currer-Bell was. Later that year, Wuthering Heights by Ellis Bell and Agnes Gray by Acton Bell were published together. Victorian novels were typically published in three physical books, and in this instance, Wuthering Heights took up the first two books and Agnes Gray was the third. While not as highly praised as Jane Eyre, people were certainly noticing these novels, and more and more questions were being asked. Who were these Bells? Were they really the same person? You see, the publisher of Emily's and Anne's novels, he was eager to ride the success of Jane Eyre and perpetuated the rumor that these two may be by the same author as Jane Eyre. This made the anonymity of their authorship really hard to keep. Especially for Charlotte, who was really not pleased to be assumed the author of her sister's novels. So Charlotte and Anne traveled down to London, eager to let Charlotte's publisher know the truth. They wanted to expose their identity to him so that he would trust them. But they still asked him to keep their names a secret. The success was evident, and the secret just kept getting harder to keep. The sisters finally let someone close to them in on the secret. They finally let their own father know that they had published their own novels, that their novels had sold, that they had made their own income, and once again, They had created their own world. That summer in 1848, (coughs) Branwell, whose symptoms may have been masked by his addictive illness, died, most likely of consumption. Death was in the parsonage again. And only two months later, In December, at 30 years old, Emily followed him to the grave. But even this wasn't the end of the sorrow in the house, as at 29 years old, the following May, Anne lost her life, too, to the same sickness that stole away Emily. It was only Charlotte and her father, Patrick, left. What followed were years of literary recognition for Charlotte. Her name became public, and after her sister's death, she decided to write about them. She continued to maintain constant penmanship with her publishers, and she found herself to be admired in the circles of the literary elite of the day. So here we are again. It's 1855 and Charlotte Bronte, the last of her siblings to be alive, is in the early stages of pregnancy. But for Charlotte too, life is coming to an end. By 1856, Charlotte will have left behind her father Patrick and her husband Arthur, joining her siblings in the ground. It's really easy for us to get lost in what's sometimes referred to as the Bronte myth, imagining the sisters in visions that have been prescribed upon them, and even in fact by the image that Charlotte thrust upon her sisters when she spoke of them after their deaths. What we can learn from their lives, well, it's that they certainly weren't easy. They did not write about the primrose life of beauty which Jane Austen wrote about, and they certainly didn't experience it. In a small northern village, they gritted through the realities of everyday life. They experienced Jobs with vindictive children, alcoholism and addiction, the loss of loved ones, and really obviously poor sanitary conditions of their surroundings. Their lives, their own story or what we know of it, it's wildly fascinating. But I think they would prefer us to live not in the world that was thrust upon them the worlds they created influenced by the truth of their daily lives yet utterly controlled by their brilliant minds as i'm standing in the hall of churchyard recording the sound of rooks wind in the trees and an unplanned but welcome bell toll i shield my microphone behind a headstone After a walk out on the moors, I returned on the path through the churchyard and made my way back to that headstone with a bouquet of wildflowers and a rook's feather as a thank you. I wonder when the last time someone living spared a thought for these carved names in front of me. People who once lived too. People who felt happiness, who wept, who died. Just like the Brontes, death touches many of our lives. In fact, it touches us all. And death took the Brontes from their father, who outlived them all. But in return for their sorrows, we have been given worlds. Worlds where many of us have chosen to live. For a brief period of time, the worlds they created around the table of their front room in the north of England were changing the lives of generations to come. Inside their legacy, people from all over the world, including myself, have walked the Yorkshire moors with Emily, struggled to establish our own independence with Charlotte, and fought against others' expectations of ourselves with Anne. The Brontes have shown us that while we can't control our circumstances, we can always choose to create our own world. Northern is written, edited, and produced by me, Caitlin Badger special thanks for this episode go out to Jordan Highland and Callum Badger if you would like to support the show please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to visit northernpodcast.com for more information thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next one